Hi and welcome. This is the women who bring to life what's next, a podcast series by Capgemini Invent. In this series, we explore how some of the world's most successful women leaders transform their businesses, connect humans and technology, and make a difference in the world. My name is Courtney Pace. I'm the co-head of Frog North America. Today, I am so excited to be joined by Renu Navale, Vice President and General Manager of Edge and IoT for Cities at Intel. Renu, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Courtney, for having me on your show, as well as to Capgemini Invent. I'm really grateful to you for inviting me here. Thank you. Well, I am eager to hear all about your current role at Intel, but let's start a little bit before that. Can you tell us about your journey uh, to date, how you landed at Intel, how you've grown there, and perhaps some of the pivotal moments in your career that brought you to where you are today? Yeah, definitely. It's been a fun and interesting uh, journey for sure. Uh, I'm an engineer by training, and I started at Intel nearly 20 years ago as a software engineer. But the best part of being in Intel was that I was able to do a variety of different jobs. So while I started as an engineer, I also did roles in software product management, strategic planning, and eventually I took on a job to set up a world-class ecosystem program for our network transformation business. And subsequently after that, I got an opportunity to set up an incubation business to deliver a software product and to monetize it. And this was one of the first of its kind within Intel, within our networking business. And it taught me a lot about entrepreneurial spirit uh, and how you even foster um, this type of risk-taking business within risk-taking capabilities within an organization to uh, really pioneer something new. And this taught me how to inspire and foster leadership within an organization and how to really take them on a journey, which is not for the faint of heart, so to speak. And for this incubation business, I really started the business from just myself and grew to a fairly large organization with a fairly large investment. And that whole process of building the organization from scratch was a really phenomenal experience for me. Wow. That's fascinating, the idea of how to get a large organization comfortable with taking risk. Any lessons that you learned or any big takeaways for us in terms of how best to do that? Yeah. What I learned was, you know, I loved setting things up from scratch, both while setting up the um, ecosystem program, which was the Intel Network Builders, as well as setting up the Edge software business. I was starting with a blank sheet of paper. I was starting with a strategy, and I really needed to move the strategy into execution. So I think number one lesson was how do you move from strategy to execution? You take small steps, you iterate, you fail fast, you learn, and you continue. You don't give up. The second was really about grit. We think so much about technology and building this perfect product. We think about capabilities and how we deliver to the customer. But many times it just boils down to one thing, which is our own grit and the organization's grit to deliver what the industry is looking for. Amazing. 
And I love your first point as well around moving from strategy to execution. As someone who sits in the consulting space, we focus a lot on making, which is sort of the parallel to your execution here, but so, so important. So your journey has been interesting because you've been at Intel for a long time. How do you think you've been so successful growing within a large organization? When I started at Intel, you know, I just felt out of place. This was a silicon company. My training was all in software. Yes, there were software engineers, but they were working on device drivers and firmware and not the level of software that I was used to. But as a company, I was really fortunate that Intel allowed you to change your jobs. And one of the first roles I applied for after being a software engineer was a role called ecosystem manager. And I had no idea what an ecosystem meant. I still thought of biological ecosystems, and I never thought it was in the industry ecosystem of different types of partners around Intel or Intel's products. I always wondered how I got the job, but I got the job And uh, I had to learn a lot of new skills that I never had as a software engineer. I had to learn how to uh, write a PowerPoint, how to speak confidently, because you sat in your cube and no one really cared whether you could speak up to a big organization or speak to a room full of people or speak for yourself. So I had to learn how to market not only myself, but the products I was representing or talk to partners and folks outside of Intel, there were times when I was pushed and challenged. And there were times when someone held my hand and worked me through something that was a very low level tactical issue that I had. But that helped build my confidence in, hey, I have the technical background, but I'm learning new marketing skills, new business skills as I'm navigating through this journey. And when it came down to actually taking up a leadership role or a leadership position, there was a lot of imposter syndrome. Can I really do it? Can I really be a leader? Some of those things kick in. And then you realize that, hey, if you are authentic, if you are passionate about what you believe in and you want to do the right things for the business and drive an impact, you can be a leader. And a company like Intel certainly supported these ambitions. Amazing. So you began as a software engineer. You find your way into the role as an ecosystem manager. Where do you go from there? That's where I had a variety of different roles, software product management. I was a strategic planner for a while. I ran the strategic planning team in the Intel uh, automotive division, which is where I got to work on really cool technologies like connected car, autonomous driving, security within the car, media and entertainment within the car. And then from there, I actually moved into setting up the ecosystem program. And this is where there have been some pivotal moments, even in the industry, that has helped to propel my career. One of them was network transformation. So more than 10 years years ago, the industry itself began on this journey of network transformation to move from proprietary uh, equipment towards more general purpose, open ecosystems. And uh, setting up this world-class ecosystem called Network Builders was a key part for Intel to drive network transformation within the industry. Similarly, more than five years ago, when we started to look into edge, This is when I had an opportunity to look at what is the strategy for edge? 
what does Intel need to do from a software perspective? And more recently now, as I've taken on the role of leading our uh, cities and critical infrastructure organization, the ability to use our technologies to drive human-centric and livability outcomes for the people in our cities is really what is motivating me as well. Amazing. So for those who may be less familiar, would you mind explaining edge computing? Sure. So many of us are very familiar with our devices, like the smartphone or an iPad or a laptop. Uh, We're also familiar with the cloud because a lot of things goes into the cloud and gets uh, processed there and comes back to our devices. But increasingly, one of the industry trends has been what are some of the use cases or some of the data that needs to get processed closer to the origin of the data? So this is where edge comes in, where you might have an edge computing unit by a roadside infrastructure, or you might have it at the back of a retail store, or you might have it on a factory floor or in a hospital or in different locations within the city, which is processing key data and delivering key insights and analytics to end users or end customers. Now, will the cloud go away? Never. I think it's really about what we call the hybrid environment where there is a continuum between the edge and the cloud and cloud to edge where certain data is getting processed at the edge for faster response time or to be closer to the origin of the data itself. And then certain data goes back to the cloud to get processed there. So it's really about edge and the cloud living in in some sort of a hybrid balance and hybrid harmony. Mm. It's really fascinating that some of your pivotal moments were tied to big industry shifts. You spoke about network transformation, edge computing, and smart cities. Did you know that those were going to be big or... What made you confident moving into those spaces sort of ahead of your time, if you will? I think this is where we kind of thrive on the risk-taking, being fearless, driving innovations ahead of its times. This is where it's almost a personality or a leadership trait. And I think it's really important for us to not only foster that in ourselves, but to foster that in others as well. And I think we can look back at technology innovations for the last 30 years and realize that, hey, every one of those things that we are using, right from the smartphone to the cloud to the laptop, and now more towards AI, everything is based on someone being fearless and taking a risk a few years ahead of us all getting to know about it or us all getting to use it. Mm Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about your role today in smart cities. I, I loved one of the things you mentioned you were focused on, which is driving livability outcomes. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. You know, having spent more than two decades now dealing with technology, products, features and capabilities and getting down to the nitty gritty of technology A versus B or product A versus B, One of the most fascinating aspects was I have an opportunity to tie it closer to how it can impact or change people's lives in the world. There are almost about 700 cities, 8 billion people. The resources is getting to be fewer and fewer. Everybody needs to do things in a budget. It needs to be in a sustainable manner. And yet we all want to make sure that... um, People have an environment to thrive, they're safe, they're healthy, they're educated, 
and they get to do the things that they want to do with their families. And this is really where we have an opportunity to look at challenges that all the cities in the world have. How do we make sure that we can use our technology and products to support the lives of people in the city, whether it's in the form of mobility and transportation or safety and security, or a really seamless personal experience with pervasive connectivity? How do you make sure that everything that either the cities touch or the people touch, it's green and sustainable, but at the same time, how do we drive operational efficiency and revenue enhancement for the various industry companies and partners and the cities themselves. And that's what makes me wake up and feel excited about my job. Would you be able to share an example of something that you're working on? Sure. So many of us, you know, we see the public safety, there's cameras and they get connected to what we call an edge computing box. And this allows us to support public safety. But at the same time, we are looking at how can we use artificial intelligence and analytics to determine what are some of the capabilities that we can add in addition to making people safe. So one of the use cases was things like elderly healthcare or safety. So if you see elderly people fall, how do you quickly make sure that there's a automatic, almost direct ring to calling an ambulance for them? Or how can you use the same technology to do waste management so that our cities are cleaner and more sustainable? There's a big notion these days of smart community, which means you need things like intelligent access control. You need a predictive lift maintenance, emergency response and safety, smart parking and traffic analysis, EV charging. There's a smart building within the smart community as well. So it's starting within the smart community and expanding to the, the whole city. The vision for smart city is there is cognition or AI at every data point what we call full-spectrum vision or full-spectrum perception. So we are integrating sensory inputs from multiple modes to make sure everyone is seamlessly connected. Um, so this is really our vision for smart cities and within that smart communities, smart buildings, and smart infrastructure. I, I really believe that we are at the tip of the iceberg in terms of determining what are the different ways we can use AI and, you know, perception and convergence in order to impact the lives of people in our cities. I, I really believe we're just scratching the surface still. Very cool. Very cool. You mentioned AI. Are there any other huge forces of that magnitude that you feel are impacting the smart city business today? This is where we ourselves are trying to understand this huge tsunami of technology that's coming, which is in the form of generative AI and large language modeling. How does this impact the use cases that we currently have for our uh, smart cities and critical infrastructure? Given how intensely video analytics based it is, I know that many people are afraid of generative AI or impact of generative AI. But if we don't understand the technology, figure out how we use the technology for good, then that's when it can get away from us. So it's upon all the technology companies, all the technology leaders to really make sure that we get our arms around AI to understand 
and guide the impact it can have on people's lives. Very cool. So we talked a little bit about some of the characteristics that you embody, innovation, fearlessness, grit. Are those the same characteristics that describe your leadership style or what type of leader are you? The first thing that comes to my mind is authentic. There was a period in my life when I kind of looked at what can be described as alpha charismatic leadership styles or leaders, and I would think I need to be like them. And then very quickly, I realized, oh my God, I'm not them. I cannot be like someone else, and I I need to be myself. And this was when I really embody being authentic. I think we need to be true to ourselves, and we need to be proud of ourselves and I think that's when you truly become the leader that you are meant to be and the type of leader you need to be. I've read a lot of books on quiet leadership because I'm more reflective. I talk less. So I think I'm definitely a servant leader as well. Because for me, there's nothing more important than making sure that I'm taking care of my team, I'm empowering my team, and I'm truly helping my team and my organization grow to the full potential of themselves. Amazing. And how do you think about mentoring or sponsoring other women in, in, in your space at Intel? I have had some amazing mentors and sponsors who are women in Intel. Truly, as I look back, I wouldn't be where I am without their mentorship. And one of the lessons I've learned from that is to pay it forward or to give back. Uh, and for me, I never say no to anybody who reaches out for mentorship to my own detriment sometimes i'm willing to meet any and every person who wants to talk to me for mentorship but i also believe in sponsorship i think that has been a key change maker for me in my own personal career i've had a lot of mentors but there's been truly one or two sponsors who have looked out for me and who've pushed me to take up the opportunities or literally given me the opportunities that I should aspire for. And I think as women ascend into their leadership roles, they really need to make sure they are not only mentoring, but they truly need to sponsor a couple of them to become the next set of leaders. Mm -hmm. Has working in a relatively male-dominant space affected your style or your approach at all, do you think? Oh, definitely. I've had many supportive male colleagues, male leaders, male managers. So I'm very, very grateful for that. But for all the women out there, one thing I've realized is it hasn't gotten that much easier. I've looked back at where I was 25 plus years ago, and I was really hoping that some of the challenges that I had faced back then would have magically gone away. They haven't. Things are better we have more women role models, more women leaders, more women sponsors. We owe it to the future generation to make it easier for them. Hopefully, you know, the journey continues. And as we raise up other women leaders, they'll do the same and it gets easier generation over generation. Rena, when we look back years from now, what do you hope your legacy will be? For me, it all comes down to people. If I look back and I think of the people I've helped grow and I think about the leaders who are now leading the company or leading new technologies, um, nothing will give me more joy. I've even told a couple of folks who are 
total rock stars in my organization. I've told them like, hey, you might become a CEO and I might work for you one day. And nothing will give me more joy. And when I'm retired and on a beach, sipping a cocktail, I'm going to be thinking of them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, outside of the office, in addition to sipping cocktails on beaches, what are you passionate about? Or is there anything that's particularly fascinating you at the moment? I spent many years raising a family. My kids are off to college. And now I recently took up learning a string instrument. It's called the sitar. It's an Indian instrument, um, learning Indian classical music on that. It is probably one of the most challenging things I've done, but I'm really enjoying the journey again. It's me and the instrument. I was joking to someone else, hey, there's no deliverables, no milestone. (laughs) I just learn and if I'm terrible, I'm terrible. No one to call me out on it and give me a performance analysis or performance report. I'm just enjoying the process and learning something completely different from technology or products or uh, business. The instrument, I bet, is a very nice counterbalance to what probably is a fairly analytical day-to-day. Yes, absolutely. And it's uh, my way of meditating because when I'm playing that, I have to put 100% focus on that. Like I can't think about that email I have to send or that problem that we have or anything else. Focus on the movement of my fingers on the instrument. Amazing. Do you have any asks or last thoughts for those who are listening today? My ask of you all is to really believe in yourself, be who you are, be authentic. Everyone is a leader. As I mentioned earlier, I went through a phase where I didn't think I could be a leader and I discovered I'm a better leader than many others that I know. So always believe in yourself and I think you will then truly find the leader you are meant to be and the leader you need to be for the next generation of people. Rina, thank you so much for sharing your journey and your ethos of fearlessness, grit, and innovation with us. This has been amazing. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Courtney. 